All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Srimate Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namane. Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pacharani Nirvase Sasunyavadi Paskatya Deshutarani. Vande Ham Shri Guru Shri Uta Padakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavamscha. Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Ravanatam Bitam Sam Sajivam Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Padijana Saita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lavita Shri Vishakam Bitamscha Panchakapajubascha Keep us in the Vyavata Padijanam Pavanavya Vaishnavya Moon Maha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya It's October 12, 2020 in Hillsborough, North Carolina. We're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 20, Text 43, and Light of the Bhagavata, Text 40. Kama Shobhata Nirmegam Sharadvi Malatarakam Sattva Yuktam Yatachitam Shabda Brahmartha Darshanam Come The sky Ashobhata Shown brilliantly, Shown brilliantly. Near, Megham. near Megham, free from clouds, clouds. Sharat, in the fall, fall. Vimala, clear, clear. Tarakam, and starry, Sattva Yuktam, endowed with spiritual goodness. Endowed with spiritual goodness. Yita. Yita. Just as. Just as. Chittam. Chittam. The mind. The mind. Shabda Brahma. Shabda Brahma. Of the Vedic scripture. Of the Vedic scripture. Artha. Artha. The purport. The purport. Darshanam. Darshanam. Which directly experiences. Directly experiences. So this is interesting. The Shabda Brahma, Artha, is very similar to the concept of Siddhanta. What is, what is the purport, what is the essence of Shabda Brahman? And Srila Prabhupada is really going to pick up on this in his Light of the Bhagavata commentary, which I found very enlivening and enthusing in terms of our, our hermeneutics project. Mm. Translation in the BBT, free of clouds and filled with clearly visible stars, the autumn sky shone brilliantly just like the spiritual consciousness of one who has directly experienced the purport of the Vedic scriptures. BBT purport. The clear and starry autumn sky can also be compared to the pure heart of the devotee. The spiritual nature is always brilliant, clean, and blissful, and this spiritual nature called Vaikuntha 
immediately satisfies all the desires of the soul. This is the secret of Krishna consciousness. So we'll look at uh, Jiva Goswami's commentary. It says, the sky is compared to the heart. So we had mind, heart. What was the Sanskrit word? Anyone remember? Calm. Calm is the sky or ether, but the one for heart or mind. Chittam. Chittam, which can also mean consciousness. consciousness. The absence of clouds is compared to Satvagun without the influence of Rajas and Thomas. So it's kind of interesting. No clouds, no mega. And then we have in the Sanskrit, Sattva. So if there's no Rajas and Thomas, Sattva is automatically there. The Shuddha Sattva is the natural condition. So as soon as you say, uncovered, then immediately Sattva is there. Well, sattva is specifically also mentioned in the Sanskrit. The autumn is compared to Shabda Brahma. Mention of stars includes the moon. Now this is very interesting, and it's a very controversial point, actually. But it's interesting this is mentioned by Jiva Goswami. Mention of stars, because what, anyone remember the Sanskrit for stars in this particular verse? What word was used? Without looking, without looking. <laughs> Which word there means stars? Tarakam. So the mention of stars includes the moon, which is the chief luminary in the night. It is said, Nakshetra Shapakara. Where is it said that? Where is that? Bhagavad Gita, chapter? Somewhere. Ten. Yes. Among the stars. I am the moon. Yes. Although nakshatra, does that mean stars? Yeah, more or less. It's a constellation. Not really. No. So it's interesting because Jiva Goswami here is saying is is conflating Tarakam with Nakshatra hmm. and saying and then referring to the tenth canto, which Shil Prabhupada translates among stars I am the moon. But it's a very controversial translation. But here we have Jiva Goswami's also conflating and translating them. The moon is the chief star. The moon is compared to knowledge of the Lord. The stars are compared to other persons. Hmm. We'll get to that. Don't worry. Okay. I was about to say, like, don't, don't worry, I'm not going to drop it. <laughs> I, I believe in cliffhangers. Actually, just a little side note about pedagogy. One of the best ways to keep people's interest during a class is to create mysteries and solve them as you go along. <laughs> you can actually get people interested in anything if you do that. That's a lot of like the clickbait on the internet. You know, it, it, pr it promotes some mystery that's completely stupid and nobody cares about, but because it's promoted as a mystery. That's a little side note for you teachers. So going to Sanatana Goswami, clouds stand for the coverings of Rajas and Thomas. Without the covering, sattva manifests. So, you know, Mars was talking about recently inartas. Basically, as soon as you remove the inartas, the real nature of the soul, the real nature of the chittam is manifest. Mm. This is one reason why our acharyas say, you know, you don't really gain bhakti from another source. It's already there. It's just a question of uncovering. It's already there. Mm. 
And this is again Sanatana Goswami. Tarakam can mean that which delivers the people from darkness. Thus the autumn night moon in the sky delivered the gopis from the pain of separation. So now he's referring back to the previous verse, right? About the gopis of separation. Thus the autumn night moon in the sky delivered the gopis from pain of separation or from samsara by manifesting brightness to initiate the rasa dance. So Sanatana Goswami is taking this in another direction. In the autumn, the moon by nature is bright, vimala, since the clouds representing Rajas and Thomas have disappeared. It is filled with sattva gun, with its revealing nature. The heart endowed with sattva shines with the direct manifestation of Krishna, compared to the bright moon, who is the meaning of the Vedas, sabda brahmartam, by direct or indirect indications. I thought that was also how Sanatana Goswami takes this back to the previous verse and is going into the, the autumn night and the moon and then the gopis and going into Ras Lila. So let's just look at this for a minute before we go to Prabhupada's uh, purport because Prabhupada's pur- Prabhupada's purport is really focused on the Shabda Brahman Artha. So we have this uh, poetry of the Bhagavatam, the poetry of Sukadeva Goswami, which is picked up on here by Jiva Goswami and Sanatana Goswami. So the sky is the well, calm is, is, is means ether or sky, but it's metaphorically the the heart, the chitta, the consciousness, which can be also sometimes identified as heart or mind, and the clouds are. The modes of nature, particularly ignorance. ignorance and passion, they're gone. They're gone. The clouds are gone. And so in the sky is therefore clear, the night sky, and therefore you can see the stars. stars. Right, you can see the stars. And uh, when you can see the stars, therefore the purport, the essence of Shabda Brahman manifests in the heart. The essence of Shabda Brahmartha, which is again very similar to this concept of Siddhanta. So we just want to touch a little bit on this concept of Tarka and Nakshatra. The Nakshatras are not exactly stars and they're not exactly constellations either. Uh, in Vedic astrology, there's sort of parts of the constellations and they represent all of the wives of the moon. So the moon through the month visits each of his wives. Now he gets actually in trouble because he has a favorite wife and therefore he has this curse of waxing and waning and, and, not, and, and not producing children by any of his wives. So this is explained in the Bhagavatam because he has a favorite. So he travels throughout the nakshatras. So to say that among the nakshatras is the moon is speaking about the traveling of the, of the devas. Mm. Yes. But it can also be understood, in one sense, the nakshatras are also indicated by the stars. So you can say that charaka means, like Sadatana Goswami said, anything that shines brilliantly. So it can refer to the stars and the moon. And we're going to, if I'm very brave, so depends on how brave I am. If we're very, very brave, at the end of this chapter, at the end of this class, I'll come back to this 
uh, in regard to Krishna. But we'll see if I have the, the guts to do that. All right. So going to, uh, I, I, I've been debating this. Should I say that verse? Should I not say that verse? Say About the, the sky and the stars and the moon. So now going on to Light of the Bhagavata, text 40. Prabhupada's translation. In the clear autumn sky, the twinkling stars appear brighter and brighter, just like a transcendentalist clear vision of the purpose of the Vedas. Now, I'd like you to listen very carefully. It's, it's not a long purport. Who here has some familiarity with Bhaktivinoda Thakur's Dasmula Tattva? Okay. I want you, if, as we're going through this purport, to see if you can hear the different aspects of the Dasmula Tattva. So I'm going to read these to you since only a couple of you are, are really familiar with these. And I'm, we're doing this because, again, we have this Shabda Brahmana Artha, the purpose, the essence of spiritual knowledge, which is basically a synonym for Siddhanta. Now, the word Siddhanta can be used in an ordinary sense, like, well, what was the conclusion of your discussion? What was the end? Siddha means perfect, Anta means end. What perfect end did you come to? But in terms of Shastra, it means what is the essence? What is the, what I like to call, transcontextual truths? What Krishna talks about in the fourth verse of the Chatur Sloki of the Bhagavatam, what is understood by all people at all places at all times, in all circumstances. Something that's always true. By the way, is Varnashram always true? No. No. Actually, I was just hearing a class yesterday where Prabhupada says there's no Varnashram in the spiritual world. Of course, there's some, something like uh, Uddhava tells Narada, right, in the Brihad Bhagavatamrita, there's something. But there's not actually Varnashram. Like Prabhupada says, there's no sannyasis in Goloka Because there's nothing to renounce. You're going to renounce Krishna, you know, just like... <laughs> so, and, and in such, in the beginning of Satya Yuga, is there Varnashram? No, everybody's hamsa. You don't have to work. Varna refers to livelihood, your occupation. You don't have to work. The trees just give fruit, the jewels just come out of the ground, and there's not even ashrams. That's another discussion. I'm not going to have it right now. But anyway, the, the Varnashram is not something that's eternally applicable in all times and in all places and in all persons and in all circumstances. So when we talk about Siddhanta in that Context, it means something that's transcontextually true. Now, different acharyas have given different statements of concise siddhanta. Uh, this one of Dasmulatatva Bhaktivinoda is particularly interesting because it's based on an almost identical uh, understanding by Baladev Vijabhushana. And Baladev Vijabhushana based his writing on that of Madhvacharya's chief disciple Vyastirtha. So what's really nice about Dasmulatatva is it's a concise statement of Siddhanta that connects us to the Sampradaya. So on the Shastra Advisory Council, we, were, we presented Dasmulatatva as what we felt was the best concise statement of Siddhanta to use for understanding scripture. But we had a number of people that said, well, why can't we just use something from our own founder, Acharya? Why do we have to use something from Bhakti the Node? Which I found kind of a curious objection. 
But in any case, uh, there's many people who have subsubjection. So in order to look at that, we thought, well, let's look in Srila Prabhupada's writings and see where he makes such a concise statement of Siddhanta. And we found one in the last purport of the explanation of the Chatur Sloki in the Adi Lila, rather than the explanation of the Chatur Sloki in the Bhagavatam, where Prabhupada summarizes the Chatur Sloki, which the Chatur Sloki is the essence of the Bhagavatam, and the Bhagavatam is the essence of everything. So we found, we found it there. And we didn't think to look in the light of the Bhagavata. Who's going to think to look in the light of the Bhagavata? Right? I mean, who's going to think to look in the light of the Bhagavata? You're going to think to look in Bhagavad Gita, and Bhagavatam, Chaitanya Charitamrita, Chaitanya Devotion. And, I mean, I've read the light of the Bhagavata several times, but when I read this yesterday, I went, wow. <laughs> All right, so let's go through the Dasmulatattva. The Vedas are the main evidence. Krishna is the absolute truth. Krishna is omnipotent. Krishna is the fountainhead of all relationships and love. The living entities are Krishna's separated parts and parcels. The living entities are marginal and can come under maya. The living entities are marginal and can be free from maya. Achinta beta beta tattva. Pure devotional service is the jiva's occupation and means. Pure love of Krishna is the ultimate goal. Right. So now we're going to read through this purport, and as much as you can, see if you can... I know we went through this quickly. But this is something you might want to do as home, home fun. You might want to sit with this purport and Dasmulatattva side by side and, and look for this, because I, I was really having a lot of fun. Maybe this is not all of your idea of fun, but what Olila does for fun. Okay, Prabhupada's purport in light of the Bhagavata text 40. It is said that the import of the Vedas, so this is again this Shabda Brahmartha, the import of the Vedas becomes clear to one who is not only a sincere devotee of the Lord, but also a sincere servitor of the spiritual master. So let's hold that a little bit too. How do we get this clear sky free of Rajas and Thomas? So we see the stars and the moon, and we can understand this Shabda Brahmartha. The spiritual master knows the purpose of the Vedas, practices it personally, right? Krishna Priya was speaking about this yesterday, and teaches the disciple of the true light of the Vedas. So, of course, Prabhupada's using the word light here because of this word tark. The supreme spiritual master, Lord Sri Krishna, teaches us the import of the Vedas in the following verse of Bhagavad Gita. Now, Prabhupada's about to quote Bhagavad Gita 15, 16, 17, and 18. What month are we in? I'm having so much fun giving this class. We are in Purushottamamas. And what is in the 15th chapter of Bhagavad Gita? The 15th chapter of Bhagavad Gita is called? Purushottama Yoga. So these particular verses, I was speaking with my friend Rukmini about this yesterday. These particular verses are very apropos to be meditating on in Purushottamamas. And Prabhupada's going to be quoting the verse that has the word Purushottam in it. Now the word Purushottam, Purusha means? Person. And Uttama? The highest. The highest. And Rukmini was saying to me, the English, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is a, pretty much a translation of the word Purushottam. Hmm. Okay. So teaches us the import of the Vedas. So we're going to find this Siddhanta 
In the following verse of Bhagavad Gita, 1516, The Lord said, that here Prabhupada's giving the translation, The Lord said in the Vedas, it is mentioned that there are two kinds of living beings, called the fallible and the infallible. Oh, you hear anything from Dasmulatatva? The Lord and the living entity, and you remember any others from Dasmulatatva? Two kinds of? Which is just conditioned and liberated jivas. Those living beings who are materially encaged are all called fallible, whereas those who are not conditioned and who are eternally situated in the spiritual realm are called akshara, or infallible. The Lord then says, Uttama purushas panya paratme yud arvita lo yoko trayam avishya bibart yavishya ishvara. We have the word ishvara. Besides each two, there is the greatest, this is again Prabhupada's translating the verse 17, there is the greatest living personality, the Lord himself, who has entered into these worlds and is maintaining them. So I see that as related to the omnipotence. Then yasma chara matito ham aksharad apichotama atosmi lokevedecha pratita purushotama. Prabhupada's translation, and because I, Lord Sri Krishna, am transcendental to all of them, even those who are infallible, I am known in all the Vedas and histories, the Puranas, Mahabharata, Ramayana, etc., as the absolute supreme personality of Godhead. So here Srila Prabhupada's giving supreme personality of Godhead as his translation of the word Purushottam. The import of the Vedas is still more explicitly explained in Srimad Bhagavatam. The conclusion of the Vedic literatures, so just listen to Prabhupada's language here. The import of the Vedas, the conclusion of the Vedic literatures. So Srila Prabhupada's flagging for us here. I'm giving you the essential Siddhanta. The conclusion of the Vedic literatures is that Lord Sri Krishna is the primeval Lord and the cause of all causes. He has his eternal two-armed form as Shaimasundara with features exactly like those of a most beautiful young man. And that is the sum and substance of the Vedas concerning God. God is one, but the living entities, including both the liberated and the conditioned, are many, and have many different grades of positions. The living entities are never equal to God, so we have a little bit there of a chintabeta beta tattva. We're not a full chintabeta beta tattva, but partial. But as parts and parcels of the Lord, they are eternally his servitors. So now we're Prabhupada speaking about pure devotional service. As long as the living entities are situated normally as his servitors, they are happy. Otherwise, they are always unhappy. That is the Vedic conclusion. So here I found Prabhupada's giving the Vedas are evidence that Krishna is the absolute truth. Somewhat of Krishna's omnipotency. A little bit by talking about Shama Sundar, that he's the fountainhead of all relationships of love. Indirectly, not directly. Living entities are separated parts and parcels, that he's giving. Living entities are marginal, can come under maya or be free, that he's giving. A chintabeta beta tattva, he's giving to some extent. Pure devotional service is the jiva's occupation, that he's giving. What I don't find here at all is pure love of Krishna as the ultimate goal. That I, I, I don't find that explicitly. But I find a lot of 
uh, the Dasmula Tattva in this purport, which was very astonishing to me. So now what is the reason that we would like to have a concise statement of Siddhanta? So if you've been in the Hare Krishna movement for more than a few days, you know that there's controversies about, well, what does it say here? What does it say there? What did Srila Prabhupada say there? What does this mean? How do we apply this? Yes? And when we read something in the Shastra or in Prabhupada's purport or hearing something Prabhupada said, that we think, how do I understand this? How do I apply it? What does it mean to me? I mean, I remember very, very clearly when the fourth canto first came out, and there's a description there of Vanaprasta women. At the time, I was 20, I believe. And I read about how the Vanaprasta woman is supposed to have matted hair, old torn clothes and matted hair. And the dreadlocks were not a thing in society at that time. It wasn't a style. And I read that, and I kind of had a meltdown. Oh my goodness, when I get to be a Vanaprasta, I'm going to have to mat my hair. I'm going to have to walk around with matted hair. And so, you know, I went to the, I went to the town president and I said, you know, am I going to have to do this? And he said, no, no, that's for another age. You know, when, uh, when Prachitos and I took Vanaprasta, I was thinking, maybe I should wear dreadlocks. So I don't think Prabhupada would like that very much. Right? But I remember reading that and just thinking, oh my God, I have to have matted hair. I don't want to have that matted hair. Right? But it's in the Bhagavatam. And, and we may read something. I mean, for me now, when I read about how pigeons can be trained to carry you into outer space, right? That's also, I think, in the fourth canto. In connection with, pretty sure it's a connection with uh, Dhruva Maharaj. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I can believe that. I mean, I grew up in Manhattan. There's a lot of pigeons. I, I just can't imagine training them to carry you to Jupiter. You know, I brought up this doubt to one devotee, and he says, you know, mystics can do all kinds of things. They can train pigeons. But, you know, it's a little... I mean, could you imagine preaching that in general? So if you take up Krishna consciousness, you will believe that you can go to Jupiter by training pigeons. So we may run into some things like this in the Shastra that confuse us. How do we understand it? So one of the main, reasons, main means of understanding Shastra, one of the main hermeneutic practices, is you take a concise statement of Siddhanta in one hand and what you're trying to understand in the other hand and you compare them. Because a concise statement of Siddhanta is trans-contextual. It applies to all persons at all places and all times in all circumstances. Like, there's a supreme absolute truth whose name Krishna. There's fallible and infallible living entities. Pure devotional service is the ultimate means to success. Those, those are always true. They're true when the universe is destroyed, when the universe is created. They're true in Satvagun, they're true in Kali Yuga, in, in Yuga, they're true in Kali Yuga, they're true in the spiritual world, they're true in the material world. They're true if you're in a frog body, they're true in, if you're in a human body. They're always true for everyone. They're true when you're happy, they're true when you're sad, they're true when you're young, they're true when you're old. And then we take this other statement and we look at them and we say, is this statement a restatement of Siddhanta, like these three verses that Srila Prabhupada's quoting from the 15th chapter, they are a restatement of Siddhanta. 
just as it is. They're transcontextual. Then we may have, it's a statement of Siddhanta, but stated in a particular context. It's a statement of Siddhanta applied in a, in a particular context. And then we have things that are supporting Siddhanta, like stand and fight. I don't see anybody standing, and nobody's fighting. Right? Who is just saying if you want to do I think you were saying in your next devotion class, if you want to argue, go outside of the temple room, don't argue. Yeah, we're going to do not allowed to fight in front of the D, so you have to take your fights outside. Right? So stand and fight isn't a statement of Sinanta. And it's not even contextually applied Sinanta. Does that make sense to everyone? It's something that's supporting the Sinanta. And then there are some statements that are outside Sinanta. Like Krishna saying to Nanda Maharaj, you don't have to worship anybody, just do your work. <laughs> Yeah. So we have those four categories of statements. Is this just a restatement of non-contextual siddhanta? Is it contextually applied siddhanta? Is it supporting siddhanta? But it's not siddhanta itself, it's supporting. Or is it outside the siddhanta? Like the philosophy of Buddha, who's an avatar. Now, another very important aspect of understanding scripture is not just having your concise statement of Siddhanta, which could be this purport of, nectar, of Light of the Bhagavad. One could use this purport of text 40, Light of the Bhagavad, as your concise statement of Siddhanta. It's not just doing that, but it's also having a certain chitta. Because understanding Siddhanta, understanding the Shabda Brahmartha, the purport of the Vedas, is not merely an intellectual exercise. It's not merely analytical. In fact, on one level, it's not an intellectual analytical exercise at all. It's a question of revelation. Right? That's why Krishna says in the 11th chapter, you can't see this form by study of the Vedas, by austerity, by worship, by... Right? always liked that first when she was a kid. It has to be revealed, and therefore Prabhupada mentions Guru here. One has to have a purified consciousness which comes from following the instructions of the Guru. We have to engage in the process of bhakti yoga to drive away these clouds of passion and ignorance. Otherwise, if we're covered by passion and ignorance, we can't see the stars and the moon. Right? There can be a brilliant full moon and brilliant stars, but if there's clouds in the sky, right? people will gather like for some lunar eclipse and then the clouds in the sky, they can't see it. People gather, right, for big astronomical uh, phenomena. But it can't be cloudy. We can be studying the scriptures, we can be seeing the deities, but if we're clouded, it doesn't do us any good. 
Therefore, those who have the Gayatri Mantra were meditating that above, we meditate first on the Lord as the, in the Pranava, and then above the planetary systems, above the material conception, there is the all-powerful Lord, like the sun. And the energy, the effulgence, uh, the energy which Prabhupada's brother uh, Swami B.R. Sridhar identifies with Srimati Radharani, the effulgence, the energy of that Lord enthuses us and then allows us to meditate. We cannot meditate, we cannot understand unless we're enthused by the energy of the transcendent Lord. It's just not possible. By our own intellectual ability, we cannot do it. We can go on, right? So what will we understand? Who would understand that God is a coward boy? Shine the Sundar like a like darkness. Of course, Krishna is also called a cloud, huh? Krishna is also called a cloud that covers our awareness of him as a supreme in yoga mind. So when our chitta, when our consciousness is clear, that we see this Shama Sundar, we see this, this beautiful cloud. And so, should I say this or not? We'll risk it. Katayati sugane kucha yuga gagane mrigamada ruchi rushite manisara mamalam tarakapatalam nakapada shashi bushite ramateya muna pulinavane vijayi murariya dina. This is uh, by Jayade Goswami. And uh, at the neck and, and shoulders and chest of the Lord's beloved has been smeared with dark musk and therefore looks as great as the dark sky. And there the Lord is putting a beautifully effulgent necklace of pearls. And these pearls look like tarakam. They look like the stars on the dark sky. And his fingernails, as he puts this pearl necklace on his consort, appear like Moon. So, uh, as soon as I read this verse, I knew we thought of this, this verse. As soon as I read today's verse in the Bhagavatam. And so when our chittam is clear by the grace of the spiritual master who's given us the Hare Krishna mantra, who's given us the Gayatri mantras, when we practice Krishna consciousness and our consciousness is clear, we understand that the import of the Vedas, the essence of the Vedas, is this beautiful uh, young man, Sharma engaged in his own pastimes of dark skies and stars and moons. So thank you very much. Questions, comments? Yes, Marge, I hope I'm not in trouble. I want to get to a little hermeneutics based on Siddhanta right now. Um, Talking about the issue about whether women can become gurus or not. Okay. You have Prabhupada's statement about Siddhiti, she could become the guru of Dhruva Maharaj because she was his mother and woman. So, how do you deal with that? 
So how do we deal, Maharaj is asking hermeneutically, how do we deal with Prabhupada's statement in the fourth canto about Suniti, saying she couldn't be Juva's Diksha Guru because she was a woman and his mother. Uh, well, we have to look at that, that Prabhupada's talking about a very specific context. He's talking about a relationship between two specific people. And the reason we know that that's a contextual statement is that we have histories of women being gurus. We have, like right now in the Gaudiya Mat, Jaishri is a guru, she has her own uh, Mat in Calcutta. We have, of course, Janava Mata, who's in the Diksha line uh, leading to Bhaktivinoda Thakur, and there's another four women in that Diksha line. So if we deny that women can give Diksha, then our whole Diksha line falls apart. We don't really have, we have, we have no basis in, in Diksha. And historically, so many women have given Diksha. And when Prabhupada was asked directly, can women give, be gurus, he said yes. And Prabhupada directly said, I want my spiritual sons and daughters to initiate disciples. So when Prabhupada's giving a direct instruction like that, then we can understand that that statement in the fourth canto must have something to do with the historical context and the particular people involved. It's descriptive. It's not a prescriptive statement. It's a contextual descriptive statement. It had probably something to do with the fact that she was his mother above all, and uh, although sometimes the mothers do give diksha in some of the Gaudiya ones. Shri Prabhupada Ki. Jai.